Church family, turn in your Bibles with me this morning. 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. We continue our series from a couple weeks ago. And uh, then we, uh, of course, had our graduation service. And then Pastor Al Robbins was with us last week. Didn't you enjoy him and Miss Laura and their ministry? They are precious, precious people. And I want to conclude this two-part series on the lust that war against our soul. 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12. Paul, uh, Peter writing to the church, he said, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims of this world. You're, you don't belong. Your citizenship is not here. It's in heaven. And I'm talking to you from that mindset. Stop being worldly minded. Stop being carnally minded. And I'm speaking to you as strangers and pilgrims that you would abstain, reject, take no part of, disassociate yourself from fleshly lust that war against the soul. Having your conversation, your lifestyle, honest among the Gentiles, whereas they speak against you as evildoers that they may, by your good works which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. And one more scripture, turn in your Bibles with me to James chapter 1. James 1, 14 through 16. If you're there, say amen. amen. James 1, 14 through 16. But every man, person, is tempted when they're drawn away of their own lust and enticed. And when lust is conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren, about these lusts. Last week, I talked to you about the pull of, of fleshly lust that war against the soul. Not every desire of the flesh wars against the soul, but the flesh does. The flesh wars against the spirit. I talked to you about the key to overcoming these, the, the departure from, the distance from these lusts, taking no part. It's so much easier to abstain from a fleshly lust than to uproot one. To uproot a tree. And I want to continue in that path this morning and talk to you about how we are to live victorious in this common path that we're all in. There's a relentless, diverse, interconnected world system that offers you, offers you, offers you, offers you. Your body craves, your body craves, your body craves things that pull you away from God. And we must be sober and vigilant in this last hour. And the key is to abstain, to be set apart and to be different. I want to speak to you for the next few moments as the Lord allows on the subject, these lust, your lust, my lust, these lust. Father, I just humble myself before you this morning. And uh, I'm grateful for the operative grace in my heart that comes only from you. The only righteousness I have, Lord, comes from you. The only freedom I have comes from you. The only peace I have comes from you. And I pray, O oh Lord, that you would give me eyes to see uh, and be conscious of what my adversary is doing and what this world is promising is only an illusion. That we would set our affections on things above, not just on this earth. And that we would walk separate unto you, consecrated, fully devoted unto you, with not even the smell of this world upon us. And I pray for an anointing to communicate that message this morning, Lord. Have your way, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated this morning.
If you will allow, I want to teach as much as preach this morning. I want to go over some of the nuts and bolts instead of just listing the things we're not supposed to do. You know, the lust that we have, the cravings that we have, some are natural, but they tend to excess. We did not ask for the desire to, to eat. Oh, and by the way, everyone that's warm in here, we're aware of the air. We turned it on this morning and it says it's in alarm. So I'm, you know, there's a special place in the lower parts of the earth for AC that doesn't work, but hopefully we've rebooted and it'll get better here. These lusts that we have are personal. The Bible said every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. You remember last couple weeks ago, I talked to you about if you put four or five electric cars out here and you had four or five remote controls and I turned my remote control on, only one of the cars would jump of the five. The one that was wired to this specific controller would jump and run across the sanctuary here on the floor. So it is with our own lust. Your lust may not be what mine is. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, but all of them fall in those categories. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and pride of life. The Bible says all that's in the world can be found in that. In the Garden of Eden, uh, the serpent was trying to seduce and, and deceive Eve. And he said, uh, he asked her to consider the fruit in the middle of the Garden of Eden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. She said, we're not supposed to eat it. We're not supposed to so much as touch it. God didn't say that, but... He said, you're not supposed to eat it. And the serpent said, hath God said that you would die? You're not going to die. So it is today. That, that one spirit of the world. Did God really say that? No, God didn't say that. And if he said that, he didn't mean that. No, that's, you're not going to die. And when she saw the fruit, that it was pleasant to the eyes, lust of the eyes, it was uh, good for taste. It was uh, good for substance. Lust of the flesh, and it would make you wise, pride of life. Every lust that wars against your soul is one of those three categories. Lust of the flesh, a craving, a natural craving. Uh, she saw that it was good for food. Lust of the eyes, it was pleasant to look upon. And pride of life, who I am, who you perceive me to be. And every one of us, you'll hear people say today, especially in this month that we're in, uh, this perverse celebrated month. They say, I was born this way. I was born this way. I was born this way. God made me this way. Isn't it funny that the God that doesn't exist made him a certain way? Anyway, anyway people will say, I was born this way. I was born this way. Well, there's a part of truth to that. What do you mean? They were born in sin, an unregenerate man, and they have their own lust. At the base level, a man that has sexual attraction for another man, a woman that has sexual attraction for another woman, or a man that chooses just to be a fornicator or an adulterer, that's their lust. We are quick to judge, and yes, it's right to judge the generalization of sin, but we usually judge from our strength and someone else's weakness. You look at people, you go, I don't just understand these people drinking and, and party all the time. I just don't understand that. Well, that's not your lust. Yours may be pride. Yours may be, be self-righteousness. You may care more about what other people think about the outside of your house than what God thinks about your soul. I hit something then, didn't I? 
So we all have personal lust. And I can tell you what yours is by the wake of destruction behind you. Because sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. So understand this. We all have our own lust. Now, it's not limited to one area. But there's a predominant area. Lust of the flesh, bodily cravings, uh, 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 beastly desires, whether it's food or sex or highs or uh, sloth or whatever, that the body controls. And the lust of the eyes is, oh, I want that. That's what advertising does. Advertising convinces you you need something you didn't know you needed. I want that. Oh, I want that. Wouldn't you look good in this car? $100,000 for a car. Wouldn't you look good in this car? Wouldn't you look good with the payments? That's what I want to say. Lust of the eyes. Oh, I want that. Oh, that, that shirt. It's on sale for $99. You could feed a third world nation for two months or buy that shirt. Lust of the eyes. I want that. I want that. Wait a minute now. While you're snickering and people's credit cards are maxed out, they're not sleeping around. They're not practicing homosexuality. They're committed to one husband, one wife, but can't tell themselves no when they see something online and they purchase things that they do not have the money for. Lust of the eyes. And pride of life. It just matters to me how you see me. I want to be better than. I want to be first. I want to be. So I gave you all this as a quick kind of introduction to let you know that this lust thing is a personal battle, but it's easily identified. If it elevates you, promotes you, satisfies you primarily, it's probably a lust. Now, God gives us satisfaction and God gives us pleasure, but it's a byproduct of knowing him, not for our own satisfaction or our own pleasures. They're appealing lust, like Eve in the Garden of Eden. Environmental lust, and by that I mean... You'll see it coming in the media, and then all of a sudden, it takes a few months or a year, and then the world takes it on. They ease you into the sexual revolution. They ease you into, I remember when uh, uh, body art uh, became a thing. And I, I'm not saying that it's a gross evil, just hear me. But it becomes popular on TV than everybody. You got people 75 years old getting tattooed, and then you got granddaddy getting a bone through his nose, and you're going, what, what are you doing, granddaddy? I'm just, it's, it's just me. It's the real me. No, you've watched TV, and you've thought something was cool, and the environmental part, and oh, by the way, be careful them tattoos. I'm going to make y'all so mad today, but it's funny. Be careful. Little girls, 19, 20, and everything, and they get a little, you know, get a little bird, a little swallow, and as you get older, it becomes a pterodactyl. He, he grows, his wingspan spreads out. He, I'm just telling you, I, get mad if you want to. It ain't going to look the same later. Be careful to cover them up. Yep. Anyway, but you'll follow this that you'll notice that the sexual revolution gave way to a sexual revolution. You sample homosexuality, sample, sample, and then it becomes... Oh, we have to be allies. We have to participate. Now, now, I have to participate in your delusion if you're a man that wants to be a girl or a girl that wants to be a man. Environmentally, it creates a culture that appeals to the lust of getting along. I'll even participate with your delusion if you'll like me. Pride of life. If you'll accept me. Pride of life. 
It is very, very simple. If you have an authority, God's word, God's written word, you'll recognize the things that war against your soul and you'll abstain from them. No, I don't want to be disliked, but my soul is not for sale and I'm not seeking your approval. I'm seeking the nod of God Almighty. Familiar lust. Things that, it's like the person that, you know, we all got saved in different generations and whatever your music was, you know, and you start to backslide 20 years later and you go back and play the same high school music you played and just, you know, crying in your drink and you, you know, just, just why? Why is it, why has it got to go back to Leonard Skinner? Why has it got to go back? Why is it? Why has it got to go back to who, whatever? And y'all are all thinking of your little groups. As soon as you and God start doing bad, you go back to familiar things, familiar people. It's so easy to recognize. These lusts war against your soul. The issue is not does it send you to hell. The issue is does it help you get to heaven? They're warring against your soul. They're pulling against your soul. They're controlling lust, like the rich young ruler who is talking to Jesus Christ and Jesus offers him eternal life and he could not take it because he was very wealthy and he did not want to give up the things that he had. Know this, that the lust that you enable, you sample and you enable, eventually they will control you. I have seen people walk away from Jesus for money, for others, they lose their mind. Lust, or it's like a cancer that eats away at the fabric of your convictions and your common sense. And they'll rationalize away anything and think that they're okay with God. It will control you. Unchecked lust. It's like having a, a demon. It's not literally a demon, but like having a demon inside your soul chained to the inside of who you are and you can starve that joker for a year, two years, give him nothing. You can flip him a crouton. Just a crouton, just, just one. And, and he'll pull that chain out of the wall and beat you to death with it. You think I'm being funny. You should pastor for 30 years and hear the stories I hear over and over and over and over and over. They say it started with... And I fed that joker. I fed him and I fed him and I thought he was going to stay on the chain and it winds up controlling him. Deceptive lust, like Samson, Samson and, and the women in his life, uh, prostitutes and the like. Have you ever just heard or read the story of Samson and thinking when his head was in Delilah's lap and she tried to trick him and trick him and trick him you know, after about the fourth or fifth time, you go, you know, she might not be good for me. <laughs> you, you would think. I mean, right? But when you're deceived, you can't even see that the person whose lap you're laying in is willing to kill you. Lust always tell you, I'm just here to help, man. Samson, I care about you. I'm just here to help. I'm just here to help. And listen, self-medication is one of the disguises the devil uses to keep you from the cure. I'm here to help. I just want to help. It's just, I just want to help. You know me. I just want to help. Get your head 
out of the lap of lust and call out to God. Powerful lust. Like Lot's wife. So you have an angel come to your house. That's a sign. That's a sign right there. You need to pay attention. An angel comes. The angel smites people with blindness. There's a sign. They're rushed out. The angel grabs them by the arm to drag Lot and his wife and children out. There's a sign. They're dragging them out. The fire is already falling from heaven. You can hear it. You can feel it. And you can smell it. And she turned back. So you're turning back, watch, you're turning back to something that God has judged, that God is judging, and you know God is trying to pull you away from. That's power. That's a powerful lust. And here's what happens in the lives, especially those that are middle age and older. The devil waits to pull the last card, uh, to call the question at a certain day and time, and you do not realize how entangled you are until that moment. And when it's God or the world, God or the person, God or the job, God or the money, in that last moment, with God doing everything to deliver you, your heart is torn and you die. How is it that everybody can leave Egypt and only two walk into the promised land? They would not give up the lust that they learned in Egypt. The first time Moses, the symbol of the law, the symbol of the lawgiver, goes away, they melt all their earrings down. They make a golden calf like they saw in Egypt. They take off their clothes like they did in Egypt. They're dancing naked before a false god like they did in Egypt. That was their familiar lust. And God is feeding them manna from heaven. Manna meaning, what is it? Angel's food, what is it? And it said they missed the leeks and onions. Now this is where we live. I'm just pastoring you today, is that okay? This is where we live. They were saying, look, these are the people that beat their children with ropes, strands of leather, raped their wives, kept them in prison, and they missed the leeks and onions, the things in Egypt. I just remember, do you remember how good that tasted? When you were prisoners, when you were slaves. Yeah, I just, I just miss things that have a kick to them. That's, how could you miss anything from that land? That's like having an abusive husband that wakes your children up and beats them every morning and beats you. He goes, yeah, but he made good pancakes. You're like, and I use, I use humor sometimes, church family, to show you the absurdity of it. Manna from heaven will never taste like the leeks and onions of Egypt. God's not going to change the taste of it to make it taste like the world's pleasures. Let me give you one more quick example. The boy that never deals with his lust in his teen years and 20s thinks if I just get married... That'll, that'll stop the lust dynamic. Well, no, sir. No, sir. Forbidden sex, whether it's fornication, adultery, 
uh, pornography, masturbation, whether it's any type of perversion, forbidden sex, let's say it's a, a G chord. Lawful, beautiful sex with your wife or husband is a C chord. The G chord will never sound like the C chord. The unlawful, the, the, the lawful God-ordained sexual fulfillment will never feel like the other because the other is forbidden. And it's a lust. And then the man with the lust or the woman with the lust tries to shape the spouse to provide stimulation more geared towards the lust than the love that they share. You see what I mean? It's controlling. It's manipulative. It becomes perverse and powerful and deceptive. I've met over the years with people in my office where one spouse wanted the other one to be perverse and the other one just, just looking down at their feet and I'm saying, do, do you not see this? Had one man said, what? I said, Look at her. She's looking at her feet. You think that if she does a certain thing, it will show you that she loves you. And all it shows me is that you don't care anything about her. You just want your lust satisfied. Lust destroys homes. It destroys your countenance. It destroys your attitudes. It destroys your priorities. You have to abstain from these things that war against your soul because they affect you. This is hard, but it's the truth. And they're generational lust. Now, I want to correct what a lot of people, oh, that's one of their favorite words. Generational curses, generational spirits, generational, and they make it mystical. I'll tell you your pastor's opinion. I believe it has more to do with exposure and familiarity than something mystical. If I watch my daddy be unfaithful, then I'd be unfaithful. If I watch my mama worry all the time, I'm a warrior just like my mama. And mama says, I'm a warrior like grandmama. And it's passed on that way. Uh, I'm grateful that my earthly dad stopped the traits when he turned away from alcohol and such. And even though I dabbled like a fool in it, it wasn't something I learned at home. Don't teach your children by example about lust that they may not be able to conquer and overcome. I can't keep them out of the world, but I don't have to introduce them to it and model it for them. These lusts are recognizable, number two. How? They war against your soul. They push back against the person of God, the presence of God, the words of God and the ways of God. How can you know if it's a lust that wars against your soul? It hinders your walk with Jesus Christ. That's the defining line. It hinders. Okay? We have a desire to eat. That does not hinder our walk with God unless it becomes an obsession. Unless it becomes satiation to where there's never enough. We have a natural desire to rest. But when it crosses over into sloth, then it becomes a sin for us. It's easy to recognize, you know the ones that war against your soul. Listen, the lust that erodes your sanctification and consecration. 
sanctified, uh, set apart from the world, if I have to involve myself and participate in and become intertwined with the world, that's a lust that wars against my soul. If it, if it uh, erodes my sanctification, if it erodes my consecration, if by participating in these lusts, whatever they are, if I find it hard to draw near to God, hard to pray, hard to study, and I feel a disconnect, not in relationship, but in fellowship. And that's why you can't go and play God in other people's lives. What convicts them may not convict you. Leave them alone. Truth is truth, but you don't get to do all of the nuances. I've had men that were very convicted about hobbies they had that were pure, except that the hobby inhibited the consecration dynamic. It wasn't carnal, worldly, sinful, but it occupied the throne of their heart and they could not enter into a divine worship with God and the person got rid of all of the hobby. That doesn't mean you can't have a hobby. It means that that person decided that I would rather have God than this thing owning my heart. And that's for you to decide. They're recognizable because they reduce your spiritual hunger. Anything that reduces your spiritual hunger, anything that changes your desires and taste. When you first got saved, do you remember how hungry you were for the Word of God and the things of God and the Spirit of God and the house of God and the people of God? What do you think changed to where now church is an option, devotion is an option, Bible study is an option, prayer is an option, service is an option? What, what do you think changed? Your taste. And how do your taste change? By acquiring taste for something else. If you threw me in a, a vegan household, I would have an issue. You Yankees that came down and you're like, what country am I in? trying to listen to them speak. And then you go home and you're saying y'all and they go, what? I don't know what's wrong with me. I can't pronounce things anymore. I don't know what happened. Diction has left. This environmental pull, this changing of our desire and taste. As we grow older, we acquire taste. Why, why did you acquire a taste for spinach or green beans or, or field peas? Now, think about it. Well, you were made to eat them. And you got older and you went, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Could it be that your tastes have changed from the things of God to the world because you eat more of the world's things than God's? Call a fast. Call a sacred assembly of your own soul. And do without, get your bearings back, your moorings back. If it desensitizes your spirit, how do you recognize uh, a flesh that wars against your soul? It makes other things allowable that you would have never done. I can tell you that your, your, your spirit, I can tell when you are being controlled or manipulated by lust because now you're desensitized. See, that's the thing with pornography. The pornography desensitizes you. The touch of your wife on your hand no longer does anything for you because you've been exposed to perverse and chemical releases from horrendous things that you see. And it changes. It changes the person so that a normal 
reaction, a normal interaction would not satisfy. And you become desensitized. That's why it always leads to more and more and more. We see that in pornography. People understand that. Yeah, that's why it has to get worse and worse. And then it has to be acted out with a person. And then it goes on. That's any lust. If you could just take this this morning and realize that any lust that you are allowing that contradicts your faith or the word of God, it will desensitize other parts of you. When a man lives just for himself in one area, just for himself, we'll call him the locked door daddy. He just lives for himself. Well, even if he's not going to mean to, his child is going to come less and less value to him and priority and emphasis because he is being glorified and edified and enthralled and throned. And the things that are supposed to matter become less and less. He's desensitized to the fact that he's not there. He's desensitized to the fact that his wife is starving for affection or attention. If you were the devil, what lust would you use against you? And is he using them? If you were the devil, what lust would you use against you? And is he using them? You will find that in the lowest points of your life, when the worst things happen, but there's a crying out to God and a calling out to God and you grab God, you'll find yourself coming alive in other areas. A Christian song will play and all of a sudden you're crying and you didn't used to cry. You go, what's going on? I'm starting to feel again because I abandoned the lust in survival mode and cleaved only to God and now I'm coming back to life. You cannot satisfy your flesh and walk with God at the same time. The Bible said if you live after the flesh, you're going to die. But if you live after the spirit, you will live. It can't control you. They're recognizable because they dim your eyes. I can name people. I can close my eyes now and think of people that used to have the brightest eyes. And now it's dimmed. Because of the things they've allowed themselves to see, the things they've allowed themselves to hear, the things they've allowed themselves to do. Sin will find you out. Listen to your pastor this morning. I know this from experience as well as study, as well from pastoring other people. Sin will find you out in your mind. It will find you out in your body. It will find you out in your emotions. It will find you out in your relationships. It will find you out in your finances. And it'll find you out in your countenance. It, it just, it, it's like a, a, a disease that works its way through the fabric of your soul. It alters our speech. It rearranges our priorities. And it strips us, strips us of confidence, influence, and power. Why is it that when we give in to Lust that war against our soul and we participate in it. Why is it we can't draw a connection between that and a lack of effectiveness in the lives of other people? A lack of power in prayer and internal confidence in God being with me and God being for me. Because those lusts have severed that, that abiding. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you ask what you will. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The lust, war against the soul. Imagine little 
critters, if you will, always trying to cut the veins and the arteries that run between Christ and us, Christ and us, so that the sap of divine power doesn't flow through. They're easily recognizable. And you know what they are. You know. I just, I just don't know what's going on. You know. Number three. Man, it's quiet in here today. Heavy message, though. They're universal. These lusts are universal. Universally experienced. 1 Corinthians 10 says, No temptation has taken you, but such as is common to man. All right, I want everyone to look this way. I've, I've shared this before, but this is, this is critical. The thing that is your big thing, it's just common. Don't do that. No, 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 this is, this is really hard. This is different common. This thing, my grandfather had it, my father had it. It's common. Kind of strips the, the, the supernatural element out of it. Jesus said, it's common. Paul wrote about it. It's common. What you're going through, your temptation, it's common. You've made it a big thing so you could have an out. It's common. Ain't the first person been cheated on. It's common. You're not the first person been in, in a church where there's church trouble. Now you hate everybody. That's common. Yeah, but not like this split. This split was worse than... No, it's common. You're not the first one with crazy children. Common. Common. No, no, not this one. I, I remember them at six years old. Common. Common. It's common. And the person that I'm making mad right now... It's because I'm getting to the root of the excuse of now all the behavior we excuse because no one's had it like me. Nobody knows the trouble I was common. Your temptations, your lust, your struggles are common. Somebody was dealt the cards you were dealt and built a life out of it. Yes, they did. They're universally painful. It says, but God is faithful. No temptation is taking you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above what you were able. Well, time out. Back up. That would imply that if God will not allow me to, be, to suffer me to be tempted above what I am able... Before I get to what I'm not able, that's a lot of pain involved in there. This is where people get confused about addiction. I'm sorry. I, I've just lived too long. I'm almost 60. And 60 is the crossover. You just don't care no more. You just, you know. Does this dress make me look big? Yes. Yes. You just, you cross. See, I done lost my place. Now, what was I saying? Help me, Kelly. What was I saying? She said, you're on your own. Oh, Yeah. Hold on. Oh, we have these things and we think, well, it, this is different. Or God's not helping. Because we think if it were different, if it wasn't different or God was helping, that it wouldn't be painful. It's universally painful to tell yourself no. Abstain. Nobody gets to help you. Nobody gets to abstain for you. Nobody gets to abstain for your fifth piece of chicken and you tell them no. No one gets to do that for you. No one gets to do that for you. And God said, I won't let you be tempted above that which you're able. Well, what about all the steps leading up to Abel? Oh, them's painful. 
if you would come after me, deny yourself. This is what Jesus said. If you're going to follow me, deny yourself. If you're going to follow me, deny yourself. Tell yourself no. It's painful. That's why Jesus encourages fasting. Not so you do without food. So that you will have the clarity and the understanding when the other lusts that war against the soul come against you and you're already in the habit of telling yourself no. That's what fasting does for you. Your body says, you know, after the third day of fasting. I remember the first time I fasted, they told me, after three days, you're not hungry. Oh, no, I was hallucinating. I wasn't hungry. I was hallucinating. I was smelling food on people. Like, you, you had barbecue, didn't you? You could just smell them. And they said, what, what? You tell yourself no. You tell yourself no. You tell yourself, and your stomach's like, I'm serious now. I'm serious. I remember the first time I fasted two weeks. I did 13 and a half days. I saw dead relatives. I was seeing them. I said, Uncle Earl, I could see him. I could see him up there, you know, reaching up. Keep losing my place when I do t- tell you something funny. You, in, in your temptations, you think it's, it's not supposed to hurt. And your, your stomach is like, I'm serious. Give me something. You dream. Anybody else dream about food when you fast? I dream that someone offers me like a, a burger or something. I bite it. And they go, ooh, you was fasting. And I'm spitting it out, throwing it out in my mouth. There's a war going on in your soul. It's a, it's a war. And, and you're telling yourself no. You're tell, and your stomach is saying, give this to me. Give this to me. Now watch. And if I tell myself no and I discipline myself, then when the body says, give me this person, give me this attitude, give me this pleasure, give me this possession, get me this. No. Don't you want to? With every feeler I got, yes. But you're not the Lord in my life. You tell your body, you're not the Lord. God is Lord, and I deny myself. It's universally escapable. But God will with every temptation, say this with me, every, every temptation, make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Every temptation. I've had them sit in my office over the years. I've had them talk to me before service. You just don't understand. This is different. Common. I can't get out. I can't get out. I can't get out. Escape. God said he provided a way of escape. There's no way out. So either God's lying or you're lying. And being that God doesn't lie, I guess that leaves you and I. There's a way of escape. How do I get out? Work that out with the Lord. Just run towards God. What Ben said today, run towards the Lord. Run towards the Lord. God, all I have is your word. You said you provide a way out of this. And I'm looking to you, Jesus. I'm calling on you. And everyone that calleth on the name of the Lord is delivered. Is saved. Not just eternal salvation, but the temporal working out of that. The earmark of the Christian is supposed to be freedom. Freedom. I share this often, and there are always going to be people that misunderstand. They think I'm glorifying my past, and I'm not. I'm trying to give contrast to that new believer that thinks that other Christians don't understand them. It has been 36 years since I drank. I drank four or five nights a week for seven years. I was drunk four or five nights a week for seven years. I haven't had one. To this day, I can go in a restaurant and I hear a, Shh. 
That was a gooseneck. I know, I know what it was. I can tell you if it was cold or lukewarm, just by the sound of the ch And when I'm out cutting grass and it's hot, my flesh would rather have that than anything else. So what do you do? I go in and get a diet do and thank the Lord for it. All right, Pastor John, is that what you wanted? No, but everything that comes with it isn't what I wanted either. So I abstain. So if God's delivered you, why do you still want it? He doesn't deliver us from the pull of sin. He delivers us from the power of sin. Amen. The power of sin. You can escape it. And it's universally simple to defeat. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. This is where we mess up. Some of you talk to, live close to, intermingle with your lust and the people that practice your lust, and you can't figure out why you don't have victory over that lust. Flee! You know what Greek for flee means? Flee! Run! If I were to ask you, now don't raise your hand, how many of you, that's your default setting to run? There wouldn't be a handful of people. Because we like to, we feel like we ought to be able to live right in it, right next to it. It's like pitching your tents towards Sodom and think that you're not going to wind up living in Sodom and that your children won't wind up being Sodomites. There are things that I just can't do. I just don't go shoot pool in bars. Why do you think you're not strong enough? I just flee. I just distance. Just distance. Distance is your greatest asset. It is impossible for me to get shot in Atlanta today. Zero chance. Because you love the Lord? Nope. Because you went to church? Nope. Because I'm not in Atlanta. How much distance is there between you and your lust? Measure it. And notice the correlation between the distance and your level of victory or the lack of victory. Josh, if you'd turn on the altar music for me. Universally experienced. Universally painful to resist. Universally escapable. And simple to defeat. How do you defeat this lust in your life right now? You flee from it. You put great distance between you and it. And what you need to know about these lusts in closing is they're progressive. If you dabble, it grows. They're progressive in their approach to you. Like Potiphar's wife, lie with me. They just come right out. It, it increases. The brazenness increases. One lust. See, the lusts are related. All the different variations of lust are related, but they all have one common denominator. They war against your soul. They're cousins to these lusts and friends and relatives. They're progressive in their numbers, like a dam breaking through. And in this last day, the flood of immorality. You, those of you that have been believers for a while, and you say, what has happened to our nation? What is going on? Lust. Unbridled, uncensored, misdiagnosed, ignored by churches and pastors Saying that's going to war against your soul. Shh, don't just, just tell us that God's amazed with us. 
That's going to war against your soul. That Goliath you're feeding is going to kill your children. I got to whip all the Goliaths in our home so my little boy doesn't have the same one. If he has to fight giants, they're not going to be his daddy's giants. You see what I'm saying? They're progressive in their popularity through peer pressure and all forms of media. They're progressive in their deception, giving you false perceptions of freedom, safety, license, and approval. They're progressive in their bondage. It's funny to me that believers I know that used to walk with the Lord now have pockets of bondage in their life and they cannot draw the correlation between those pockets of bondage and that lust. Lust breeds lust. And sin turns into bondage and then ends in death. Christ came that we might have life and freedom. And when he appeals to us, he said, now this is going to be a, I want you all to focus with me just a few more minutes and we're done. This is going to be a, a, an, a lonely walk. It's going to be a, a colorless walk at times. A walk of consecration, the pure, the narrow way. You're, you're, you're not going to be with the crowd. Your flesh is going to cry out. You're going to feel like life's passing you by and all these things. He said, but I'm appealing to you as a pilgrim. Don't settle in in a world that's not going to be here. It's going to melt with fire. Set your affections on things above. There should be a dissatisfaction in every believer with this world because we can't, we can't live on what they're offering. I'll show you what to do. Turn on your cable and then everything that contradicts the scripture or grieves the spirit of God, turn it off. You say, well, I got the food network after that and then I lusted over the pie. <laughs> just, turn it, just turn everything off. And because of the absurdity of that last statement, Christians don't try at all. Finally, these lusts are progressive, but they always lead to destruction. It says, sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. It's death. Pastor John, are you saying that that means I'm not saved? I'm saying that when it's finished, it brings forth death. You work it out. Christ is at the door. And I know we're tired. I know we're, I'm so tired of fighting against the spirit of this age and the world. I'm so it's like the current. Everybody's just floating down the river on their inner tubes and everything's, you know, it's, it's crazy, but they don't have to fight the current. But as your pastor, I'm reminding you that you flee youthful lust. You abstain from the lust that war against your soul. You walk humbly before the Lord. Do without in this, last, in this lifetime. Be at the back of the party in this world and come to the front of the banquet in the next. As we prepare to take communion, it's as simple as genuine repentance. Lord, I know that this thing is displeasing to you. And I repent. I confess. Forgive me for that. And the Bible tells us if we drink, we're not to take this unworthily, which means you have to be a believer. But we can't be living in open sin. 
Well, Brother John, do you mean we have to be perfect? No one's perfect, but you can have a perfect heart that has confessed the things. Lord, the quickest prayer you'll ever have answered. Lord, is there anything between you and I? That, that, that. And before we take this morning, I, I want us just to repent of those things. And if you're unwilling, or if you feel like it's not worked out, just don't, don't partake today. That doesn't mean you're not a believer. That means you reverence the Lord and there's a fear of the Lord there. So I want to give us just a few moments and you can go ahead and separate your elements, if you will, and then just, and just pray. Pray for yourself and say, Lord, how is it with my soul today? If you're in the sanctuary and you want to come and kneel before the Lord you don't have to do that but for me that was something I did often when I was in the congregation and if you said Lord I just want to kneel before you and humble myself before you feel free to do that Church family, would you stand with me this morning? That's good right there, Josh. All spiritual desire, all spiritual power, and all spiritual contentment comes from what Jesus Christ did for us. 
he not only purchased us, redeeming us back to God, paying for our sins, but he freed us that you could live a life well-pleasing unto him. And the same night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and broke it and he gave to his disciples. He said, this is my body that's been broken for you. As often as you do this, remember me. Lord, we remember your bruised and broken body. You were wounded for my transgressions. You were bruised for my iniquities. My chastisement of my peace was upon you. And by your stripes, I was healed. I thank you for your sufferings, O Lord. Give us that same mentality that we might suffer with you and for you outside of the camp, bearing your reproach. Let's take together. This is not only a powerful part. This is a precious part. And I'm looking at our older saints this morning. How many times have we went back to the same spot and asked the Lord to forgive us? And he did. Grace is amazing because of who gets it. And grace is amazing in how thoroughly God gives it. If we confess our sin, our lusts, He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the same night Jesus was betrayed, he took wine, he poured it and gave it to his disciples. He said, this is my blood that's been shed for you. And he also said, I'm not going to drink it again until I do with you in the kingdom. But this was given for you. He said, remember me. So Lord, we remember you paying the price for our salvation, redemption and freedom. And we take together today in honor of you. Right before Jason dismisses us in prayer. You remember my illustration about the car? God wants us to come to a place not where we don't feel that. But where our flesh and the devil turns on the remote. And you feel it and you go. No. Did you hear me? Did you hear me? I said, no. Before long, he just puts the remote down and says, oh, never mind. That old trick doesn't work anymore on them. Jason, would you come and dismiss us this morning? What a message. We all will leave here today and still have to deal with some of those lusts that tempt us. But be encouraged, believer, because who the Son has set free is free indeed. So when we go forth and that radio control car tries to get you going and we look back and say no, we stand on the fulfilled promise that God was sending a savior. His son, Jesus came, he finished the work and we are free indeed. Father God, as we go forth into the world, Lord, let us be an authentic representation of you, Father. May we deny ourselves, 
May we pick up our cross and follow you faithfully, Lord. May we be righteous ambassadors of you, God. We thank you for a pastor, a preacher, a shepherd that would stand firm on the truth of your word and boldly proclaim to us the imperative need to abstain from the lusts that bring death and destruction, Father. For those of us that are convicted, Lord, do not let that ease up until we make it right for you and with you. And, and Father, as we go forth, we pray for boldness and encouragement and opportunity to share your truth in the midst of a perverse and crooked generation. We love you, Father. Amen.